There is an old English song which says that even if you roam around the world and find many palaces, there is no place like home. And if you have found a home in the church, like I have found for 43 years, then we will say with me, Sare jahan se acha as CFC hamara. Which means there's in the whole world, there's no place like CFC. The great tragedy is, even in our own homes, you know, how children grow up and they don't value their home enough until they go away and uh, see how it is elsewhere. I don't know if all of you really value this church, if you are a part of it. I can honestly say this is my family. I have many earthly relatives, but none of them are close to me like this church family. And it's been like that for all these 43 years from the time when we started when we were only two families right at the beginning. So the thing is to continue that spirit in the coming generations because time moves on and uh, when we started Ian and I were the ones who prayed together and before the months before CFC started and I don't say that Ian and I are getting old I just say we are not getting younger so we need to pray that the new generation will rise up everywhere in all the churches that the Lord has planted so that his name will be glorified. I want to first read from Psalm 78. The psalmist is not a psalm of David, it's a man called Esaph who wrote it. He says here, verse 3, what we have heard from our fathers and what our fathers have told us, we will not conceal them from their children, but will tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Psalm 78, verse 5, and we, his strength, his wondrous works that he has done, the reason is that they, verse 5, last part, should teach them to their children. And here's the psalmist concerned about grandchildren. That the generation to come might know, even those children which are not yet born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, to the fourth generation. And what should they teach them? They should that they put their confidence in God. And not forget the works of his works of God, but keep his commandments. So that is our burden also as we move on from generation to generation. We read in the Bible that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for forty years, and that was one generation. And we have passed that forty year mark in CFC. So we really need another generation among all those of you sitting here. 
to rise up and take the responsibility seriously and it's like a relay race when jesus went up to heaven he passed that baton to the next person running the race those are the apostles and they took the baton and handed it to the next generation and like that through the years there's always been a remnant not the big churches i mean if you read the history of christianity the big books on the history of christianity tell you about the big big churches the big denominations but the people of god were not usually there the people of god was in a small remnant i mean you see that for example in the time of king saul the real people of god were a small remnant that hung around with david in a cave and even in the time of jesus the big church or the big um, recognized religious group were the israelite pharisees and the sadducees and all but the real remnant was jesus and his few disciples 12 of them who wandered around and were not recognized so all these 2000 years there's always been a small remnant which has existed and there are one or two books on that subject that uh, take up the history of this remnant that has been right through generation after generation after generation the reason is you know when god starts something for example you take the apostle paul he did a great work in ephesus and started a church there he worked 3 years there and he preached day and night for 3 years he told them i never took any money from you i didn't even want um, any clothes or gifts or anything i served you day and night and he says now i'm going away and what the holy spirit has told me is that all once you go the wolves will come in and the wolves will come and destroy this flock and the elders will be the first ones who are attacked and those elders will make little groups and get people to join them you read that in acts chapter 20 that's what paul told the elders when he was leaving but what i want you to notice there in acts 20 is uh, acts 20 verse 29 i know that after my departure savage wolves will come in and they won't spare the flock and from you elders i don't know how many of them were there we read in verse 17 he called the elders maybe four or five elders and Acts 20 verse 30 some of you will begin to say perverse things that means to draw away people after yourself can you imagine an elder who sat under the ministry of the apostle paul for 3 years and could not get his spirit where he never sought his own and never took anything for himself and labored day and night forgoing his own health in order to bless the people and these elders never got gripped by that spirit they were seeking their own and so once paul went it says in verse 30 they would draw away disciples after them now this was not a prophecy it was a warning there's a difference between a warning and a prophecy prophecy means it will be fulfilled warning means like jonah went and told nineveh the city of nineveh in 40 days the city is going to be destroyed and they they repented 
from the king downwards they repented and that prophecy was not fulfilled because they took the warning seriously so here is a warning if these elders had taken it seriously what that great apostle of God had spoken the church in Ephesus would not have declined to what you read in Revelation chapter 2 the Lord tells the church in Ephesus you left your first love what Paul said as a warning they didn't take seriously it became like that and in our church also God has given many warnings through the years we warn strongly against sin we teach people to submit to their elders for their own in church matters anyway for for their own protection we teach parents to bring up their children in the fear of God those who take these things seriously it goes well with them those who take it lightly and think that oh well that's not going to happen to us that's how all the warnings that God gave through the prophets in the Bible many people said no 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 it won't happen to us and it happened so we have to be very careful we are not any different from any of them there is a need for us to take what we hear seriously so in that connection I want to turn to 2nd Timothy 2nd Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote we read here in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 Paul is writing to and saying to Timothy in verse 2nd Timothy 1.13 he says please hold on tightly to the standard of sound hygienic healthy words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which is in Christ Paul was happy that there was at least one person who was gripped by the truth and so he says hold on to that what you have heard and I will say to all of you those who are serious those who have the spirit of Timothy to take heed to what you have been hearing here through the years hold on to the standard retain the standard everywhere in Christendom the standard is going down in western countries it has become so bad that divorce which is unheard of in the church has become very common and not only divorce the people divorce and get remarried in the same church and they even become pastors in that church it was not the standard in the beginning Jesus said if you divorce your wife it's adultery that's what we have preached that's why in all these 43 years we have never had a divorce in all of our churches for those who are committed members of this church I'm not saying that those who were divorced in their unconverted days if they repent we will not welcome them if God welcomes them we will welcome them too but in the church we will never see a divorce and we will never marry a divorced person but in the west it's become common among the leaders and even very well known people they marry divorced people and they well known preachers I mean people accept it 
the standard has gone down so much so paul's word is very important retain the standard of hygienic healthy words which you heard from me in faith and love i think timothy held on to that till the end of his life but in succeeding generations decline went in so what happens is when a movement or a church like ephesus declines and the elders don't take what is said seriously you know in the book of revelation it speaks about overcomers and even the whole church declines there will be some turn with me to revelation in chapter 3 to this church he says to the leader of this church the messenger word angel means messenger that means the senior elder in that church the last part of verse 1 you have a name that you are alive but you are dead it's possible to be in a church which over the years has built up a name for holiness for a standard of god's word and people can join a church like a lot of people join cfc oh it's got a good name let's be there but you yourself could be dead you have a name that you're alive but you're dead and that's what happened to a lot of people in that church so god was going to reject that church but see was for but you have a few people i told you about the remnant and that's what god's looking for in this church and every church a remnant a few people who have not soiled their garments in other words who kept their conscience clear we have taught in this church the importance of keeping a good conscience before god and before men that's the meaning of they did not spoil their garments and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy it's an amazing statement in a book like revelation where it says lord thou alone art worthy o lamb of god thou alone art worthy the lamb of god turns around to some people sitting in the church in sardis and says you are worthy can you imagine that jesus turning around to some people in one of his churches and saying you guys who kept your conscience clear and you did not become like all the other believers in your church they lived, they lived on the good name the church had but you didn't live on that good name you just kept your conscience clear you will walk with me in white because you are worthy i want to hear that word when jesus comes again i hope you want to hear it too it's very simple it's very easy to keep your conscience clear to keep your conscience clear does not mean i have overcome every sin in my life no it means that if i slip up i set it right immediately that's the meaning of keeping your conscience clear you will never come to victory over sin if you don't start with keeping your conscience clear let me tell you that they have not soiled their garments that means when some dirt came on the garment they washed it off immediately so the garments were clean we have a they will walk with me in white we have a great example of that in acts chapter 
Acts of the Apostles in chapter 23 we read the Apostle Paul saying to the when he was standing in a court before the high priest he didn't know it was the high priest some man sitting up there and he says to the whole council that was judging him Acts 23.1 Brethren I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience. He did not soil his garments. Not only before God, but also before men. Up to this day. That means during the first 30 years when he was a Jew, before he became a Christian, he lived by the standard of the Ten Commandments and kept his conscience clear. According to the standard of the Ten Commandments. And after he became a Christian and the standard was higher, which was that you don't get angry and you don't lust after women and you always speak the truth and love your enemies, etc. Again, he kept his conscience clear by the new standard. Not always perfectly, but he kept it clear. That means he kept it clean. And as soon as he said that, the high priest who was so angry because he never kept his own conscience clear and he didn't believe anybody could. Like a lot of people today, they don't believe there's any such thing as victory over sin. Just because they don't have it themselves, They think nobody can have it. So he commanded the people there to strike Paul on the mouth. And now see what happens in verse 3. Paul immediately loses his good conscience. He speaks to the high priest in a way that Jesus would never speak. And when you speak in a way that Jesus would not speak, it's a sin. Whoever it is. Paul or anybody. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Verse 3. You sit there according to the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck. According to the law, according to the legal standards, Paul was right in what he said. The high priest had no right to tell somebody to slap him on the mouth when he's standing there. That's against the law. So what Paul said was right. But he had no right to speak like that. Sometimes you know what you say is right. But the way you speak to an older person it may not be right. It's what you've got to learn. There's a lot of disrespect in the world today. You can argue and say, but what I said was right. Yeah, what you said was right, but that is not the way to speak to an older person, to someone older than you. So when the people told him that was high priest, oh, he said, I'm sorry. He set his conscience right immediately. Because... I see that God's word says you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people and I did it. So I learned something from there how Paul kept his conscience clear all the time. As soon as he was aware he apologized and acknowledged his error. That's where all of us have hope dear brothers and sisters and there's only one thing required to acknowledge your error. And that is humility. And that is the one thing that is lacking in many, many Christians, even in CFC. The humility to immediately say, I'm sorry. That was my mistake. Please forgive me. The ten most difficult words for human beings to speak. I'm sorry, that was my mistake, please forgive me. Most difficult words for a husband to speak to his wife 
when he hurt her in some way. I'm sorry, darling, that was my mistake. Please forgive me. Or for a wife to say to her husband, Why is it so difficult? Pride. And that is the reason why people don't grow. When we think of 43 years, CSC has gone by. What is it we have emphasized in these 43 years? Uh, God gives his grace only to the humble. We used to have that verse somewhere here. That's over there, yeah, the corner there. God, we used to have it in the other building too, and it's over there. God gives his grace only to the humble. That's what you have emphasized. All these years, how many people have taken it seriously? You know, you can see a verse on the wall and you sometimes get familiar with it and it doesn't even affect you. I never in my life want to be unaffected by that verse. God gives His grace only to the humble. I want grace. I cannot live in this world without grace. I cannot preach without grace. I cannot serve without grace. I cannot be a father, a good father without grace. I cannot be a good husband without grace. I cannot be a good brother to all of you without grace. I cannot be a good elder without grace. In fact, I can do nothing without grace. And God says he'll give it to me abundantly. Only one condition. Humble yourself. That's what we have stressed from the beginning. 43 years we have preached. God gives his grace to the humble. How many of you have understood it in your head? All of us. How many live in the reality of that every day? I don't know. Because if you were living in the reality of that every day, there would be such fantastic spiritual growth in you. And I must say it's not there in many, many people as I expect. And in this area, what have we stressed? We have stressed that this humility is not something we learn from the dictionary. You can look up the dictionary, what is the meaning of humility? And try to follow that, you'll go astray. Turn with me to Matthew 11 and verse 29. What have we taught in CFC for 43 years? Jesus said, learn from me the middle of that verse for I am humble in heart what is the difference between the humility of Jesus and the humility that you see in some people you say he's a very humble man even some non-Christians they say he's a very humble man but most Christians their humility comes from sin I have sinned so much, so I think of that and I humble myself. That's good. That's called the humility of the sinner. And sinners must be humble. But when Jesus said, learn humility from me, he was not humble because he was a sinner. No. He had not committed a single sin. 
How, how can a person who's never committed sin and has got no sin in him always overcome? How can he be humble? That is a mystery. To be humble when you have so much sin in you, that's fairly easy. In fact, you should be humble if you have failed so many times. But Jesus said, learn humility from me. It is another level of humility which is more than the humility of the sinner. It's the humility of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have stressed. The humility of Jesus was seen, I'll tell you, in one single statement. Turn with me to John chapter 6. And I believe that is the mark of the humility of a saint, not the humility of the sinner. The humility of a saint who is living in victory over sin, John chapter 6. The humility of Jesus is seen, I'll read two or three verses to you and you'll understand it. John 6.38 I came from heaven never to do my own will. That is true humility. Lord, Heavenly Father, I never want to do what pleases me. I never want to do my will, but I only want to do your will. That is true humility. Uh, Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. And verse 3. One simple statement. You see his humility here. If you want to learn the humility of Jesus, Jesus said, learn from me. Christ did not please himself at any time. Romans 15.3 Do you want to live this life? It's an invitation, no compulsion. I'm inviting you to live a life where you never do your own will, where you never please yourself in anything, but you only want to please the Father. You say, is such a life possible? The Apostle Paul was a human being. When you think of Jesus, you say, oh well, he was perfect. Let's look at Paul. Second Corinthians in chapter 5, he says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. This is our ambition, Paul says. Whether we are at home in heaven, if you read the previous verses, you know he's talking about heaven is our home. In the verse 8, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. So whether at home with the Lord in heaven, or absent from the Lord here on earth, let me paraphrase it. Whether I am in heaven or I am on earth, my one ambition is to please God, to please the Lord. You know, young people have ambitions. They want to get a good job and be an engineer or a doctor or some big job and earn a lot of money and build a house and live comfortably, get a good car. Good ambitions. Good for young people to have ambitions so that they... Don't become beggars, but get a good job and support themselves. I encourage all young people to work hard for that. 
But over and above all that, here is the ambition that any Christian should have. Our ambition is to be always pleasing to the Lord. That is a really humble person. I don't want to please myself. Very often, somebody gets angry with you, you want to say what pleases you. Give it up. Say, I will not please myself. I will not do my own will. That is humility. I tell you something. You walk that way, you will experience such grace in your life that you will be amazed. Many of us are not experiencing it. You are missing something. Turn with me to John chapter 5. Jesus said in verse 19, here is another example of the humility of Jesus. Verse 19, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. I was recently in our church in Loveland where one message Santosh was speaking, my son, and he was quoting something that he heard in an audio Bible, a Bible which is spoken, the story of the Bible spoken in audio for little children. And he said something that really moved my heart. It brought tears to my eyes. He said in that Bible that man says like this, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you know the well-known words we have read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, I mean, the way he spoke it was, Papa, where are you? You get that? You get it? Jesus hanging on the cross and saying, Papa, where are you? It's like the cry of a little two-year-old who's held his dad's hand and walked, and then suddenly it's dark and the father has left his hand. Picture this in your mind. A little two-year-old walking holding his dad's hand all along and suddenly it's dark and the father has taken away his hand and he's lost and he says, Papa, where are you? That's how Jesus lived all his 33 and a half years. He's not like these proud people who say, ah, I can walk myself. I can cross the road myself. Big 10-year-old says that. The 2-year-old says, Papa, hold my hand. Do you say that? Is that your relationship with your Heavenly Father? I don't want to speak something which I feel like speaking. You know, Paul said, that's what Jesus is saying here, the Son can do nothing by Himself except what He sees the Father do. Paul said in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. You know, the, on earth it is like that. I want you to understand a spiritual meaning to this verse. Speaking like a child. Shall I explain it to you? 
I can do everything. I don't need to pray. As long as I earn my money and I'm in good health, come Sunday to the church, show my face here and don't do anything that will spoil my testimony. Everybody accepts me. I'm okay. That is speaking like a child. But when we mature and become a man, then we begin to speak like Jesus. I don't know. I need to seek God. I don't know what to do. Father, what should I say? I'm not very sure what I should say. Thirty years ago when I was a young believer, I knew what to say. Today I don't. It's my own testimony as a preacher. I started preaching 55 years ago. I knew what to say. I could study the Bible and give a good message even to 5,000 people. I did it. But today it's different. That was when I was a child. I spoke like a child. But now I put away those childish things. I've come to see what maturity is like Jesus. The son can do nothing unless what he sees the father doing because what we think is going to benefit everybody may not be what they need. My own cleverness, I say, oh yeah, I think I know what will benefit people. Lord, I can work out a good sermon for these people. Once I could. Not now. Now I say, I don't know. The son can do nothing unless he sees what the father is doing. This is what we have taught. And I'm not saying this has happened to me suddenly. It's something I've grown into. And I'm not, some of you are young, I'm not asking you to condemn yourself. Maybe you are in the, you're like I was when I was a child, okay. But I, what I say is, are you growing? Some of you have been here 20, 30 years. Are you growing? Are you growing in humility? Are you seeing Jesus' example? Or is your head full of very high thoughts about yourself? If you don't know how to speak in kindness to your wife, you're a child. Even if you've been here 30 years. Or to your husband. If you don't know how to speak in kindness to your son and daughter, you're a child, spiritually. You have to grow up. And growing up is to be like Jesus and saying, I don't know. I want to lean upon the Father. The best example, this is something we have taught in this church for 43 years. I'm just trying to remind you of the things we have taught for 43 years. John 15 and verse 5. What Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. I look at these two verses behind me here on the wall as I was sitting there. Without Christ, I can do nothing. That's here. John 15 verse 5. That's what we have taught repeatedly. And the other side of the coin, Philippians 4.13, which is with Christ, I can do everything. The more we grow in the Christian life, the more those two verses become real to us. And when those two verses become real to us, 
There cannot be any glorying that I did this or I can preach like this or I prayed for somebody and they got healed or I did this, I did. No, 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 no. It was all the Lord. And then the verse in the middle becomes true. We learn to be merciful to others when they make mistakes. Just as God has been merciful to us. I mean, I think of the years when I spoke like a child and I thought I was I was uh, arrogant, proud preacher, capable of doing things. And the Lord was merciful to me. I can be merciful to people today. Because he was merciful to me. I have been such an object of God's mercy through the years. And I'll tell you honestly my testimony it is impossible for me not to be merciful to others. Impossible. Because God has been so merciful to me. This is what we have taught in this church all these 43 years. Let's live in the good of that. That's why we put some of these verses up in the old hall as well. You know, things like trust God. All things are possible if you can believe. That's another verse. It's over there. We have emphasized faith. You're facing a difficult situation, nothing impossible for God. We've also taught, though we never take an offering here, we've taught that other verse, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what we have taught people who come to the church, you receive, receive the word of God, receive, receive, receive. Dear brother, sister, you're missing out the main blessing of God. Learn to give. Learn to share with others the goodness of God to you. Let your heart overflow with blessing to others. And in a world of uncertainty, we need that other verse which we have at the back. If you fear God, you need fear nothing else. Those are the things we have taught in this church for 43 years. What shall we do? What we read in Psalm 78, we have to teach it to the next generation. You have to teach that to your children and we have to teach it to the young people growing up here. These amazing truths. How Jesus lived. That Jesus came like us and was tempted like us and he did not sin. This has been our central message. Because it says in 1 Timothy in chapter 3 that CFC I believe it refers to CFC because many churches are not doing it. When other churches don't do it, CFC has to do it. What is that? The last part of verse 15. 1 Timothy 3.15 Let me read it like that. CFC, which is the church of the living God, must be the pillar, like these pillars here, and support of this truth. How you can live a godly life. Verse 16. Jesus came in the flesh, kept his spirit pure, and that's how he lived in the world and went up to glory. An example for us. And we must never go astray from being a pillar and support of this truth, because there's hardly any other church that I know around here who's proclaiming that. That we can walk as Jesus walked. That we can learn humility from Christ. We can live that life where 
We don't want to do our own will. We always seek to do God's will. In the beginning it's difficult, you know. Like a paralyzed hand. If your left hand was paralyzed, now you're slowly getting some physiotherapy done to slowly can become a muscular hand one day. We have done our own will so many years that we are paralyzed. Now we are learning something not to do our own will but the will of God. We got to do that physiotherapy. Little by little, one day we will be so strong, we'll be able to say, I never do my own will. I only do the will of God. That's a muscular hand. I don't speak what I feel I should speak. I speak what God wants me to speak. I don't now please myself, I seek to please God. And that's become my ambition, my passionate ambition, as much as it will be in heaven. In heaven, we'll only be seeking to please God. It's becoming like that here on earth. And if we have to pay a price for it, or we suffer for it, we are willing. Okay, in closing, let me read to you what I got from the message translation of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, A lot of people in Asia have left me. He says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 Timothy 1 and verse 15, Many people have turned away. And we've seen that happen also in our church. So many people have turned away from the truth. So, my son Timothy, let me read this to you. Throw yourself into the work of Christ. This is 2 Timothy 1. Sorry, 2 Timothy 2 and the whole chapter. Pass on what you heard from me. And the whole church says, Amen. Pass it on to reliable leaders who are capable of teaching others. And in your life, when the going gets rough, take it strongly the way Jesus did. A soldier must not get caught up in things in the marketplace. He should not be a businessman. He should not be taken up with money. He concentrates on carrying out his orders. And you are a soldier. An athlete who does not follow the rules will never get anywhere. The farmer who works hard is the one who is going to get a good crop. Think it over. God will make it plain. Fix this picture firmly in your mind. Jesus came from the seed of David, just like us. And he's raised from the dead. An example we can follow. That's what you've heard from me all along. And that's why I'm sitting in jail today. But God's word is not in jail. That's why I stick it out. So that everyone will get to hear of this salvation in Christ in all its glory. Here are some things that are absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. If we die with him, we will live with him. If we stick it out with the Lord, we will rule with him one day. But if we turn our backs on him, he will turn his back on us. If we give up on him, he doesn't give up his purposes. He will continue and fulfill his purposes. So these basic truths, repeat them over and over and again and again and again. Preach the same thing again and again and again to God's people Warn them before God, don't get argumentative about small, small little verses here and there. Because that will destroy your faith. Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work in such a way that you won't be ashamed. Explain the truth, plain and simple to everybody. And stay clear of all this religious language, which is only religious talk. Your words must be backed by a godly life. 
Otherwise, it's like poison to your soul. Hymenaeus and Philetus are examples of people who missed the truth by a mile, saying the resurrection is over. Meanwhile, God's firm foundation is firm. What is that? God knows those who belong to him, so turn away from evil. In a well-furnished kitchen, verse 20-21, there are valuable goblets and silver platters, but there are also garbage bins. And we don't use garbage bins to serve meals, so you've got to give up trying to be a garbage bin. Be a valuable container that God can use to present his gifts to others. Run away from the lusts that are youth run after, run after rich righteousness and faith and love and peace. Join with those who in honest and serious prayer seek God. Refuse to get involved in useless discussions because they always end up in fights. God's servant must not be argumentative. He must be a gentle listener, a teacher who keeps his cool, working firmly and patiently with those who refuse to obey. You never know one day God might give them a change of heart. And they may turn to the truth and escape from the devil's trap. Brothers and sisters, let's make that the vision for the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we pray that your name will be glorified through us in this coming year. And all the rest of the years you have for CFC until you return to earth, help us to glorify you to proceed from glory to glory as individuals and as a church, we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen.